Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Matthew chapter 14. I want to talk to you about leftovers. <laughs> leftovers. I said to Tommy last Wednesday night, or, or Sunday one, Thanksgiving is a wonderful time. Have you ever considered how much food is wasted at a Golden Corral buffet in a day? or at a grandson's, or at any buffet, how much food is wasted? Most of us this past Thursday were at extended family gatherings, right? And there was more food than we knew what to do with, even with big appetites, and most of us ate more than we normally eat, right? And uh, even at that extended family gathering that I was at, I saw some of us going back after two hours and eating again. (laughs) And when that was done... There were to-go plates <laughs> fixed. Never saw that done, but uh, at our gathering, there were to-go plates fixed, and uh, there was still food left. Leftovers. What do you do with leftovers? One fellow said, You put them in a plastic bag, tie them up, bury it, and call it a time capsule. (laughs) Another fellow suggested that you put Elmer's glue in mashed potatoes and fill potholes. (laughs) Another said that you take broccoli and celery sticks and put them in a decorated pot and call it a rare bonsai tree. One said you whittle down the turkey ribs and make them permanent toothpicks. Leftovers. 
leftovers if left over long enough take a life unto themselves. Leftovers, if they are wrapped in aluminum foil and not written on with a Sharpie pen, placed in the refrigerator, they get pushed to the back. They become forgotten. And they're left there. And then in about a week, when you open the refrigerator you begin to smell something and you say, what is that? And then in about another day, you say, what is that? And then in about 10 days, you get a trash can and you set it there and you begin to throw away all of those leftovers that you were going to do something with, right? Leftovers, if left over long enough, become trash. What do we do with leftovers? Matthew chapter 14. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for loving us unconditionally. Thank you for demonstrating that love at Calvary. Thank you for the atoning sacrificial death burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Father, we gather together in your house in your name. And now we gather around the written word and we ask that God the Holy Spirit who inspired the word would interpret the word, that he would enliven the word, and that he would minister the word. Oh, Father, draw us individually and corporately to your heart. Speak as only you can speak. Do what magnifies you. Bring glory to your own name. You are God and God alone. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to think or ask. So move by your spirit. Accomplish those things that glorify you. Holy Father, I thank you for First Baptist Dublin. I thank you for all that she is engaged in. And I ask you, Father, to minister to and through her to accomplish greater things for the Lord Jesus. During this transition period, give wisdom and direction. Dear Father, 
in this moment I ask that God the Holy Spirit would grant his fullness that I might be able to share your word clearly and concisely. You know every heart in this room. Minister to us. Bring us from where we are to where you would have us to be. Speak. Quicken by your spirit. And now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, might be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. The message will encompass verses 13 through 21, but I want you to look at verse 20. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments that remained. There's leftovers. Twelve baskets of leftovers. When I was dating my wife, she is the oldest of seven. Now, that was... 56, seven years ago. A long time. Let me put it this way. That was a long time ago. And I went to their home on Sunday and had a meal with them. I learned one thing. That when the bowl passed you, and you wanted any of it, you better get it. Because there were three boys, growing boys, and that bowl would not come back by you. It would be empty. There were no leftovers at the Taylor household. I can't imagine this scene. There are three thoughts in these verses that I want to share with you. And the first one you will find in verses 14 and 15. When Jesus heard it, that is when Jesus heard that John the Baptist, his cousin, had been beheaded. When Jesus heard it. He departed from there by boat to a desert place by himself, his disciples with him. But when the multitude heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. I want you to look first of all with me at the multitude. The multitude. When Jesus heard that John had been beheaded, he left. Now, there are a few individuals who believe that Jesus left where he was because he was afraid that he might suffer the same as John and be beheaded. I don't think so. Jesus is taking his disciples on what initially is going to be a few days rest 
for prayer with his disciples. But notice that when the multitude heard it, how did they hear? When Jesus moved, when he went from place to place, word of it spread. They heard it when they heard it in their cities. They came where Jesus was. Now Jesus goes by boat. Word spreads. And they come where Jesus is. They heard it. Now here's my challenge to you. This coming week, spread the word. Tell something good to somebody about your church. Now, I guarantee, not guarantee, I guarantee if something bad happened at your church, that word of it would spread like wildfire, right? Well, spread something good. I challenge you to start something good. You have a good music program, right? Right? Well, spread word. You have a good youth program, right? Well, tell it. You have a good, what do you call you old people? <laughs> Young at heart? Well, you got you. Got you okay? <laughs> this, you see what I'm saying? You have good stuff, right? Talk about it. I mean, I'm serious. Talk about what's going on. It was heard. They heard about where Jesus was and they came where he was. Now, there are two things I want you to notice about this multitude. First, I want you to look at the size of it. Verse 14 says it in one word. It was great. It is a great multitude. They come from the cities. It's a great multitude. Now, according to verse 21, there are at least 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, children were a tremendous blessing. No abortion in that day. Children were looked upon as a tremendous blessing, a great heritage. And the more children you had, the more blessed you were, right? Estimates range from 20 to 25,000 people in this great multitude who came where Jesus was. To say the least, it is a sea of humanity that have gathered where Jesus is. It is a great multitude. Now, you and I, for the most part, feel pretty safe in numbers, don't we? I mean, if we're walking down the street of New York City, we don't want to do that alone, do we? 
I mean, I don't. I've been there. I don't particularly want to walk down New York City Street by myself. Do you? Now, those of you that have been there, don't you want some company? Or Baltimore, Moldova. You don't want to be in some places alone, do you? You feel pretty safe in a crowd most of the time. But let me ask us this. If you are one among a hundred drowning people, does that make you feel better? No, you're still drowning, aren't you? You're still drowning. This, the size of this multitude, it's a great multitude. Jesus saw them. This is a great multitude. Now I want you to look around. First Baptist Church, Dublin, is reasonably full. Now, you may not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to tell you something. When a church is 80% full, it is full. Did you know that? Do you realize that? Are you 80% full this morning? When your parking lot is 80% full, you're what? Full. When guests have to park in the back 40, it's not good. Guests don't know where the back 40 is. I said that one time before. I said it lovingly. When a family of four can't come in and sit together without crawling over people, you're full. So what do we do about it when we're full? Don't look at me real spiritual. It's not a hard question. Yeah, and you know, you... you... All right, now let me move on because I'm going to make you mad. Uh, that's not my purpose. Listen, look around. Okay, you can, we can feel good. Now, I want to tell you something. We can feel good about being 80% full. But I want to tell you something. If we had them hanging from the chandeliers this morning and you had three services and they're hanging from the chandeliers in all three services, the multitude outside is more than what's inside. There are more people born in a day than are born again in a year. We are losing, folks. We don't see the multitude. We've grown accustomed to not seeing the multitude. Now don't look at me that way. 
North Carolina used to be not just a, bu- a part of the Bible Belt. We were the buckle on the Bible Belt, right? And now, in our own state, we are lost. Over 50% of the people in North Carolina don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. Okay, I move on. That's the size of the multitude. Now, the second thing about this multitude is the sickness of the multitude. Verse 14 says, Jesus healed their sickness. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what their sickness was. I think it is probably a mixture of all things. But the reality is, it do no good to speculate what it is. The point is, whatever, it wasn't beyond the reach and the realm of the Lord Jesus. The issue was, could they get to the Lord Jesus? I mean, with twenty to 25,000 people, if I'm sick, can I get to Jesus through that crowd? The sickness today we all know is not cancer or heart disease. The sickness that we deal with today is a sickness that we're all born with, and that's the sickness of sin. What troubles me today is we don't call sin sin anymore, it's a fault, it's a failure. I had a, a pastor that I was having a conversation with once, and uh, he was a pastor that was one of those who believed that uh, you didn't sin. And I asked him a silly question. I said, "Well, the speed limit from here to there is 55 miles an hour." And suppose you're going to the hospital and you run 60 miles an hour and you are violate the law and you're in an accident and you're killed. Do you go to heaven or hell? And he said, well, we don't call it a sin. We call it a fault or a failure. And I just said to him, a rose by any other name smells the same. You see, folks, you and I can call sin whatever we want to call it. But sin is still sin. And until we call sin, sin, we'll never be freed from sin. Call it what we like. Jesus was able to deal with this multitude. Now, We move from the multitude. Now I want us to look at the master. I took too much time on that. Um, The master. Verses 15 through 18. No one can ever spend too much time observing the master. Now there are three things I want you to notice about him. In verse 14, where you see his compassion. It says, Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus went forth. He saw the multitude 
and he was moved with compassion. Jesus saw beneath the surface. Jesus saw the need of these people. And when he saw the need of the people beneath the surface, he was moved with compassion from his innermost being. He saw their need and he was moved with compassion. Now compassion is love in action. If you and I have compassion, it will result in action. Someone said, we are more like Jesus when we are demonstrating compassion than at any other time in our Christian experience. Jesus, just read the Gospels and note the number of times that it says he was moved with compassion. Compassion flowing from his heart, stirred from within, because he saw individuals in need. He saw hearts that were hurting. He saw individuals as they really were. I wonder this morning if you and I could see individuals as they really are. If we saw the hurt. If we understood the burden. If we could really see what's going on in life. Every person in this room this morning has a life situation that if you and I really saw, we'd, we would leave here with a different perspective. His compassion. Second thing I want you to see is his command. Now look at this in verse 14. He said to them, notice verse 15, When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place and the hour is already late. Send the multitude away that they may go into the village and buy something to eat. Verse 16, But Jesus said to them, They need not depart. You give them something to eat. Verse 16. That's his command. You give them something to eat. Now just suppose for a moment, that you are one of Jesus' disciples. There's 20 plus thousand people. It's already late. It's between 3 and 6 o'clock. These people haven't eaten. They followed him out. You come to Jesus and you say it's late. Send these people away. Jesus says to you, you give them something to eat. What are you going to do? Someone say panic. You're right. Jesus' command, you feed them. I believe that is his challenge to the body of Christ today. I believe that is what he would say to the church today. You give them the bread of life. However, before you and I can do that, we must possess what they need. 
Now that leads to the third thing about Christ that I want you to just say about the Master, and that's His correction. Now look at the saints' saints' remark. They come, they come to Jesus, and they say the hour's late. This is a desert place. Lord, send these people away. Send them into the village. Now let's just suppose for a moment that there's twenty thousand of these people. That's a that's a pretty good crowd of folks, right? Send them into the villages that they can buy them something to eat. Now, you send 20,000 people into outland villages. Do you think those villages are going to be able to provide food for these 20,000 people? I don't think so. And moreover, I don't think this 20,000 people have money to buy food. So, you still have the problem. So, what are the disciples really saying? Get them out of our hair. Send them on their way. Let somebody else deal with it. I believe they're looking at the size of the crowd, and they recognize their own inadequacies, and they're saying, send them away. We don't have anything that is sufficient to deal with this crowd. Send them away. And then you see the Savior's remark. They told him, verse 17, we don't have anything but five loaves and two fishes. And here one of them say, and that won't even feed us. The correction goes on. Jesus said in verse 17, bring them to me. Now what's the them? The them is the five loaves and the two fishes. Bring them to me. The possessions, bring them to me. He's saying, the disciples were saying, we can't do anything about it. All we can do is bring what we have and give it to you. Now, I'm going to tell you this story because it's true. When I pastored, I became extremely burdened over the reality that I did not have a prayer list that contained 50 lost people on my prayer list that I lifted to the Father three times a day, praying for their salvation. So I went to the deacons, and I asked them to help me come up with 50 lost people. Now, the only criteria was to know they were lost. And to know they were lost, they had to be engaged in at least one spiritual conversation. One spiritual conversation to know they were lost. And so I asked the deacons. And at the next meeting, I asked them to share those names with me. Now here we are, a pastor and deacons. And we couldn't come up with 50 lost people. 
Couldn't. Couldn't come up with 50 lost people. So I asked the church. Now at the time, not a large church. We ran about 150 in Sunday school and about 170 in worship. So I asked the church. Now they could be 25,000 miles away. didn't matter where they were. The only criteria was that you'd had one spiritual conversation with them that related to their salvation. Now here's a pastor, a deacon body, and a church that averaged 170 people in worship. Couldn't come up with the 50 lost people, known lost people. Now you think it's easy, don't you? You think it's easy. How many known lost people do you know? That I mean now, using that as a criteria that you've had one spiritual conversation with about their eternal destiny. That's, that was the criteria. So I changed it. A people that are far from God. Now it's easy to get names of people far from God. Right? Yeah. You see, the, here's, here's what I'm talking about, folks. We are too churchy. Do you know that? We're too churchy. Our friends are in church. We don't know lost people. Or if we know lost people, we don't talk to them about Jesus. Now you can get as upset with me if you want to. But I'll be happy to meet with your deacons and see if we can come up with 50 lost people using that as a standard. And then I'll be happy to meet with you and see if we can come up with 50 lost people that we can put in the sheet in the bulletin, lost people, and pray for them. We'll even use initials. Not easy. Well, time's gone, but I got to get to the leftovers. The miracle. Look at the miracle. First of all, the miracle, there is the sufficiency in verse 19 and 20. The sufficiency comes, look at the avenue of it. Verse 19 says he blessed it. Now, why did he do that? Because he wanted everyone to know this isn't a trick. This is a God thing. Folks, listen to me real good. When if people are going to be saved, if there's going to be a renewal of the Spirit of God, if there's anything spiritual going to take place, it must be known that it is a God thing and that blessings flow from God. And He blessed it. And then the all of it. And they all did eat. Now, can you imagine there's probably a skeptic or two in that crowd? 
He divided them up and had them set down. Thomas probably had some relatives in that crowd. And he said, you know, he's sitting down here and said, that's never going to get to me. There's not enough. I won't get a bite. And can you imagine those sitting way off in the end? But it says, and they all did eat. Every one of them. The only person that left hungry that day was the person that chose to do so. Just like in the wilderness when the manna fell, all did eat. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there is sufficient of the bread of heaven for every one of us to eat. And then the second thing is the satisfaction. Verse 20 and they were all filled. Now the word filled is interesting. It's used of animals at the feeding trough. And they stay at the trough and eat until they don't want anything else. I mean, they're full. They're filled. They're satisfied. Jesus gives satisfaction. That's what the choir sang about. Satisfied. You know, I've discovered why some people in church don't do anything but fuss and complain and grumble. They've never allowed Jesus to give them satisfaction. Jesus doesn't start and stop. Jesus will satisfy the hunger of our souls. And then there is the surplus. They took up 12 baskets Now, we're not told what they did with it. Who benefited from these 12 baskets full? It is used later when Jesus makes a reference to it. How many baskets full did you take up teaching a lesson of faith? But these leftovers, I don't know why they didn't leave them there for the birds. I don't know what happened to these leftovers. I don't know who ate them. I don't know what happened to them. But I do know that a little became a lot when the Lord had them in his hands. Now I want to say this. If you this morning have never opened your heart in faith and repentance and you've never been to the foot of the cross acknowledged your sin. Ask Jesus to save you. You're still a part of this multitude. The good news is that can change. You can, you can experience new life in Jesus Christ today. You can. Now there's something I want you to notice about this miracle. Jesus blessed, and then he took the bread and he gave it to the disciples. Jesus didn't do this. It, it, it's cooperation. The disciples were involved. They passed it out. And I think you and I need to be involved. There's a part for us to play. There's something for us to do. And in verse 14, 
Jesus healed the sick. And I want to tell you, he can do that today. Jesus heals the sin-sick soul. Jesus satisfies the saints. He sustains by his grace. Whatever the need is this morning. I know that's a pretty big statement. But a God that's able to take five loaves and two fishes and feed a crowd of 5,000 men besides women and children is able to minister to you where you are, whatever the need is. Touch your heart, touch your spirit. He's able. God is able. Let's stand, please, and bow our heads. We're going to have a prayer. Then we're going to join together in singing our invitational hymn. Our Father, thank you this morning that we're not left over, that we are indeed your first choice. And I ask you, Father, in this moment to speak, to minister, to draw, you know us, you know what we need. I feel so inadequate even presenting your invitation. But Father, for those this morning who are still a part of the multitude who've never really opened their hearts to Jesus, I pray that this would be the day that they'd step out and say no more. Father, if there are those today that recognize that they need healing in their life, may this be the day. May this be the day, Father, when we cast doubts aside and we say yes to you. Be honored in this your invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.